This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and with me in studio today is Hugh O'Connell, who is a political correspondent with Media Huis, which you may know uh, from the Sunday Independent, the independent.ie and the Independent newspaper. Hugh has been covering politics in this country for how many years now? Nearly 10 years. A decade. A decade. If a week is a long time in politics, (laughs) you've seen enough. A decade is a lifetime. A decade is a lifetime. Well, it is for some people. Um, And the reason I'm doing this episode is because I've had a lot of you asking me, what is the difference between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael? Who are the Green Party? What do Sinn Féin stand for? When you hear something in the media, someone in opposition saying... If we were in government, we would give you free childcare and free healthcare and free houses. How much can that be believed and where does all that money come from? So I've asked you to sit with me and break down each of the major political parties in this country, where they, what they stand for and where they sit sort of socially and economically. If that's not too much to ask you. Well, we'll give it a go. Fantasy cabinet. <laughs> Who, what party would you like to start with? Well, I suppose we, we should start with the two political parties that have been the most dominant uh, in the state since its, uh, since its inception uh, 100 years ago, and that is Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Mm-hmm. Um, Fianna Fáil has been uh, the dominant party for much of the existence of the state, uh, and I suppose the second most dominant then has been, has been Fine Gael. But these, you know, often the question is asked, is these two parties are in coalition with each other right now, but, and it's the first time they've ever been in government with each other. Uh, along with the the Green Party, um, but what is the difference between them? And I suppose the difference between them is the manner in which they they came to being. And quite simply, uh, Fianna Fáil were on the pro treaty side. Uh, this is the treaty which basically created Northern Ireland and, and split the island uh, between the six counties of the north and the, and the twenty six counties here in the south. Uh, and uh, so Fine Gael were, were the pro-treaty side, and Fianna Fáil were the anti-treaty side. So Fianna so, Fáil wanted thirty two counties and. Yeah, I mean that's, that's at its yeah that's at its most kind of basic, I suppose. And and bear in mind these were not parties that existed at the time, but rather supporters of the anti-treaty side uh, came to uh, create Fianna Fáil, and that was led by Eamon de Valera, which uh, who founded the party I think in 1926. And Fianna Gael emerged a, f- uh, a little later in amalgamation of various different political parties, all of whom were broadly seen as pro-treaty. Um, is that in, like if you're 18 and you've just gotten your first ballot know, right? like do you really care about <laughs> no. the treaty I, do well I, I don't think so I think people if you're 18 you probably do care uh, about you know why are we an island of six six and a half million people and we're split into two jurisdictions I mean and you know is there a case to be made for a united Ireland um, but you probably don't care about a treaty that was negotiated a hundred years ago do you not care more about like why you're not going to be able to buy a house or yeah. why... You do. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. Yeah, yeah. So and so do, do Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael as a party, so like maybe... Parties. As, par- <laughs> as parties, each as a party, mm. do they still stick to that as how they're different or are they, now that they're in coalition, are they sort of the same? Yeah, I mean, I think that the supporters of both parties would argue that politically they're a little different. So Fianna Fáil would consider themselves centre-left and Fianna Gael would probably be on the centre-right. Uh, Fianna Fáil would be... Socially or with money? Well, so let's break that down a little bit, right? So Fianna Fáil would be considered, I think... I mean, all parties were pretty pretty socially conservative in this state up until quite recently, let's be honest, when you think about the uh, the marriage referendum. Conservative 15, being right. Yeah, being right, being anti 
anti-abortion, anti-abortion anti-gay rights anti-gay anti- rights anti um you know anti-women working for example yes okay you know? yeah <laughs> so um you know pretty pretty conservative um but but broadly i think on, on the economic side of things Fianna Fáil would consider themselves uh, central left so they would consider the state having a greater role in things like the provision of housing for example that the state would be able to would be more supportive of people who are not in employment more supportive of people who need access to healthcare and Fianna Gael would be more central right in that they would believe that the market should kind of figure those things out so that the, you know the, that, that they wouldn't necessarily believe in, in is as big state intervention in housing as as is the as Fianna Fáil would for example so the state shouldn't intervene in housing so you just work and you earn your money mm. and so let's say to make it very simple Fianna, Fianna Gael believe that we should tax people a little bit less so they get to keep more mm-hmm. of the money that they more earn every in their day pocket. Yeah. and then they get to choose what they spend that on so Correct. if they need to go to a hospital they can spend it on that if they want mm-hmm. to buy a house they can spend it on that mm-hmm. whereas Fianna Fáil would be slightly more to the left mm-hmm. thinking actually we're going to take a little bit more of money from you mm-hmm. a little bit more tax mm-hmm. and then we'll make we'll try to ensure that there are provisions for housing for health so that if you don't have a lot of money mm-hmm. It's there for you. Yeah. They, they but there wouldn't be left, like Fianna Fáil aren't as far left as, like they're not very left, are they? They're right in the centre. Yeah, I mean, they. you know, I suppose as Fianna Fáil has evolved, it has been, uh, you see, the pro- I, I guess the, the difficulty with having kind of a left-right debate within Ireland is that, like Fianna Fáil was the dominant party in the country for most of the last century. I mean, it was... Uh, in government more often than it wasn't. Uh, it, like even up until uh, you know 2011, it had been in power for 14 years. And prior to that, it had only been out of power for, I think, five years. Uh, no, three years. And, pro- you know, and then it was kind of in government for, you know, the, the vast, vast majority of the decades before that. Um, so it was the dominant political force. So it tried to then be the party uh, for, everyone. for everyone. And... When you look at, for example, the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, one of the reasons why we had that was because Fianna Fáil was far more liberal when it came to the market than they traditionally would have expected to have been. So they let, for example, housing take off and this major housing bubble, they reduced uh, ta- they reduced the tax base. So they basically reduced taxes to such an extent that there was very little tax coming in and they were reliant on one form of tax, which was uh, stamp duty from the number of new houses being bought and, and sold. Um, and that created a situation where we had a financial crisis and we needed a, a, a big bailout was that kind of, a decade so, ago. But you're saying that that's kind of off-brand for them, like based on what it, we've it just discussed yeah, of centre-left. It would have been pretty have been. off-brand for them, yeah. It, it would have been something, I suppose, that they, they just, you know, they were seen as a party that got into bed with developers, uh, property developers, and that they created the market conditions for developers to flourish, but that, you know, ultimately we built too many houses in the wrong places. And we had a property bubble that couldn't last. It blew up, and we all paid the consequences for that. And we have been paying the consequences. And and you and I pay, and our people of our generation pay the consequences. And for that. I mean, in fairness, Fianna Fáil are paying the consequences of that. Was that well, a party? Did, yeah. Like, is do you think that was a party decision or the decision of? Do you know what I mean? So now yeah. Fianna Fáil are tarnished with that brand of like. Mm you caused the housing crisis and you mm. bailed out the banks. Mm. Was that the decision of a few, maybe slightly more centre-right members of Fianna Fáil um, than, than, a, than a party decision of like, let's go this way? I think it was the decision of the people at the at the head of that party. Like Bertie Ahern was the dominant political figure. He won three elections. He was Taoiseach uh, for uh, 11 years. Um, he was the dominant political figure, and he dictated that that that, right, that okay. policy. Um, and I think there was a variety of reasons for that. One of the primary ones was it was very very popular. Um, he won three elections in a row, 
And the reason he did that was because his policies were popular. If we say the Fianna Gael mm-hmm. are slightly more centre-right, so mm. they, on a small, like they make less social provisions and let the market dictate things, um, would that have been, would they have done anything different in no in that period? No, no. I don't think, I mean, if you go back to 2007, the general election manifesto of Fianna Gael was even more of a, a promising, more of a giveaway in terms of uh, tax cutting and the provision of, uh, and, and strangely enough, actually the provision of more public services like extra guards and extra teachers and so on uh, than, than Fianna Fáil. And it was more kind of expansionary, I suppose, than Fianna Fáil. So that meant that um, I, I don't think it would have been any different had, say, Fianna Gael, and they ne- they they nearly they didn't really nearly do they, they kind they could have won that election in mm-hmm. 2007 and things might have been a little bit different um but i don't think it would have prevented the sort of collapse that we had um in 2008 so is it fair to say that because this is kind of what i see from online which is not mm. always a reliable place that <laughs> um wealthier people potentially who own businesses mm-hmm. who earn subs- like substantial incomes mm-hmm. are more likely to vote for people like Fine Gael mm-hmm. because Fine Gael's policies protect their income and will keep tax lower. Yes. That's okay. that's yeah. I mean if you if you look at all of the polling data it would show that people in the kind of ABC1 bracket are more likely to vote for Fine Gael than they are for another political party like Fáil or Sinn Féin or or the Greens because you're exactly that because they believe that Fine Gael um will keep their taxes lower uh, and will create conditions within the economy that are more beneficial to them than any other political party in the in the uh, in the country. Okay, so then we have Fine Gael who are slightly more liberal than them but marginally. Then Fianna Fáil. Then sorry, Fianna Fáil who are more uh, economically I don't know, generous or like yeah, but, well not but, generous because you're but, taking money from Yeah, they would be I mean like Fianna Fáil as I said would be more of a sort of a, a, a would be considered more of a sort of a centre left party who believe that perhaps people should pay a little bit more tax um, but you know did you know the party did kind of lose the run of themselves a little bit during the, the, the run up to the financial crisis and reduce the tax base to such an extent that like we, we got into major trouble and needed you know outside assistance to pay the bills and pay the doctors the nurses the teachers and Fine Gael I think, you know, broadly, historically would have believed that the state should be a little bit smaller, that people should pay a little bit tax, that, that we should have kind of pro-business, pro-enterprise market conditions. But they've kind of changed a little bit on that in recent years. I mean, COVID, for example, changed everything. We spent 40 billion euro on the provision of, uh, you know, social assistance to businesses, to workers, to everyone to keep the lights on when when the country was shut down. Um and, you know, they have a leader in Leo Varadkar who's spoken about, you know, we need to just basically maintain health spending that we created during COVID-19, which is not a very traditionally Fine Gael position. Now, he's tacked a little bit away from that now in recent weeks where he's sort of began speaking a little bit more to those, that kind of cohort of voters that you identified there, those kind of people in the uh, the higher income brackets who maybe have their own business or work in a very well pay, in a well paid job and want to pay a little bit less tax, and he's very much focusing on that message of reducing taxes. Whereas Fianna Fáil will be much more talking about we need to spend more on services because there's a, a shortage of services, there's a shortage of, of you know uh, beds in hospitals that we need to tackle waiting lists, all these kind of things. But know. this seems to be a really important piece that doesn't get spoken about. So Fianna Fáil are saying we need to. We need more hospital beds. We need more mm. nurses. We need more doctors. Sinn Féin and opposition, other opposition parties are saying 
you're not doing enough mm. we need more housing we mm. need this we need that if we were in government we'd have all of these problems fixed and no one talks about well how Sinn Féin or other oppositions how are you going to pay for that Yeah, and other people like normal citizens are calling for it as well like I want a house I want to be able to do these things but when it comes to taxation mm. don't understand that well that's how we pay for it like you, you will be giving us more of the money that you earn mm. so that we can spread it among So Sinn Féin for example and other parties kind of seen more to the left would argue that there is a, a cohort of people out there who we could tax more uh, people who earn over 100,000 euro a year under over 150,000 euro a year that So these could, people who are voting for Fine Gael because they Well are. yeah some of them are certainly um, but I mean I think the, you know, the electorate has kind of gone a little bit all over the place in right, the last okay. few elections I mean and we can talk about that in a little bit but yeah I mean generally people who would be considered Fine Gael voters um, they would be people who we should tax a little bit more um, in order to pay for these kind of things. So, so Sinn Féin believe that if you if you tax people on higher incomes a little bit more, and you're not ask, and, and they would argue we're not asking them to pay a huge amount more, and also if we tax kind of assets a little bit more, if we tax pe- if people who have a second home, that they should will ab- will abolish the property tax, but will tax people who own a second home, um, that that would be a way of creating more income to uh, spend more on the provision of services. The counter-argument to that is mm-hmm. that if you do that, you make the economy less competitive and you get a lot of um, people may- maybe potentially leaving the country or just you know their businesses become unviable because they're paying too much tax and they have to shut them down. And that contributes to uh, you know, reducing the tax take overall and potentially putting the economy into trouble. But Sinn Féin would argue that they're asking people just to pay a little bit more so that they can spend more on the provision of services. But when we look at then, so this is kind of slightly off the point to okay. the description of each of the parties, but when we look to, it doesn't seem to be that money is the problem. Like, for example, mm. the waiting list, the health service, let's just take health. Mm-hmm. We've thrown so much money at health yeah. in the last while. Like, I don't think that Sinn Féin or any other party could throw any more money at it and that would be the solution. It doesn't seem to be money. That's no, I think you're right. But, I mean, that is a very good point. Uh, so then maybe it comes down to policy choices. Um, but, you know, in health, the policy choices are... Uh, it's interesting, actually, health policy, because about five years ago, all of the political parties came together and they came up with a policy called Slauncher Care, which was this idea that we remove private health care from um, the Irish public hospital system and that we have a, a proper... Uh, state-funded state health system uh, that we don't have half the population reliant on private health insurance, for example. Um, now, that was agreed to by all of the political parties, but it, its implementation has been so slow as to be negligible and there's been kind of huge political rows and rows between you know the health minister and his senior civil servants and uh, people in the HSC and all that. And then it's it, you know, far too complicated to get into now here, I think. But I mean, the, the net effect of it has been that there has been no real desire to overhaul healthcare in the manner in which it was envisaged by Sláinte Care. No um, political appetite for it? No political or appetite, no political, no, no political appetite, no political will. The HSE is uh, slow to implement it because they don't believe it's, it's necessarily the right course of action. Um, so all of these kind of log jams creating a situation where still, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a large number, cohort of the population uh, have private health insurance, want to retain their private health insurance. And that's actually, you know, the, the lack of political will is in part motivated by the fact that a lot of people who vote for the likes of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, they have their private health insurance and they will be loath to give it up. 
um, because they believe it's the, it's a safety net that they need in the event that they get sick. So that has meant that you know on health policy, even though all of the parties are agreed that this is the, the strategy, very few are seem interested in, in implementing it. Because ultimately, whoever's in power is just thinking about how they can stay in power and if their voters are not going to be happy about a decision they bring in, they're less likely to do it, which yeah. I think is the ultimate flaw of politics. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, it's it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, it's a, it's you know, you could argue it's a very cynical way to look at politics, but absolutely. I mean, like the the, the aim of people who get into political life is, you know, they will say that it's to make the country a better place, make the world a better place and there's a little bit of that, but I mean, you know, there is ambition involved in it as well. I mean, but it's if, also if, if you're putting yourself before the voters and you're saying, I want you to vote for me and you have to get thousands of people to vote for you, then you, know, you, you have a little bit of a, I want to say an ego, but certainly you have a little bit of personal ambition. And that all you know, contributes towards, I think, a, a system in which politicians, they, do, they, they don't like to do things that make them unpopular for sure, yeah. Which, it's just really frustrating when you see, like, objectively, like, we're recording today, Mm. temperatures are going to be higher than they've been in 135 years, apparently, Mm. in some places. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, we can, uh, like, objectively see that there is a climate crisis. Mm -hmm. And yet, some rural TDs know that if they support a ban on burning and cutting turf, Mm -hmm. they will not get re-elected. So even though it is the right, objectively right thing to do for the planet... Mm Their seat is at stake. They would tell you that is it the right thing to do for the um, you know for the rural dweller who needs the the turf to heat their home in winter, you know, because so they can't get because they can't get access to a grant to retrofit their home or they can't afford to retrofit their home to, to make it warmer in, into winter. So I like understand, that, but then you bring yeah. logic into it, and it's like okay, so one person who can't <laughs> afford this Absolutely. is going to continue. No, you're to right. Burn. I mean, look, there's, unquestionably, the planet is burning; it is on fire. We have a major climate crisis, and there are hard political choices to be made arising out of that. And there are there are there is a problem within this government in particular, and we can get into it if you want, with the uh, those hard choices having to be made. The well, program for government is very ambitious in terms of trying to get people, trying to get our overall carbon emissions, I think, uh, more, more than halved by 2030, I think. Uh, but doing that requires hard political choices, like banning the sale and I'm not uh, here to cutting on the sale of, of turf. turf. I mean, yeah. that's one of a number, you know. Yeah, and that's Eamon a small, Ryan is talking today sm- about yeah. culling the national herd. But I, that's a small thing. And I don't like criticising politicians very much mm. because it's a really difficult thing mm. to make these hard decisions. Mm. What does wreck my head mm. is opposition who don't have to make any hard decisions, whose job it is. And this is the same when Fianna Fáil were in opposition. They were the, doing the same thing. Whereas, yeah. you know, you can tell now that Pierre Stardy, who is the... Um, who's in Sinn Féin, is already probably writing his criticisms of the budget mm. that Pascal Donoghue hasn't even made yet because that's just his job. It's I just to criticise. One of the things that I always notice about Budget Day is that um, after the government deliver the budget, the opposition get up and they read from a script. Yeah, so and they, they haven't heard They it. haven't written that in the previous 40 minutes. They might have added little, little bits and pieces to it, but they are generally reading from a script that would have been written days, weeks, months in advance. Yeah. So, okay, so we have Fianna Gael. They're slightly to the right. Uh, then we have Fianna Fáil, their centre tipping like, so if you tipping imagine left. like, yeah, a big cross, mm. they're in the centre, slightly tipping left. Sinn Féin are not near the centre, they're just left, mm. is that mm. correct? Um, yeah, I think that Sinn Féin would see themselves as a left wing kind of social, slightly socialist party, yeah. And take Sinn Féin out of it. would have been in, in, in socialism. Um, I, and I, just to say, I think that it's important to say as well about Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, 
that, and Fianna Fáil in particular, that Sinn Féin and other people in the opposition would say that Fianna Fáil are centre-right, that they're a right-wing party. And okay. they'd argue that because of the, the policies that led to the, the financial crisis that we talked about earlier. Right, OK. So we're saying that they're left, but they're probably... But other people would say that they're right. Yes. Um, and typically, like, if you take Sinn Féin or any of the titles out of it, what does a left-wing party in general kind of stand for? Like, if we just get break it down into left and right wing politics what is left so broadly they would they uh, go going back to what we a little bit of what we discussed earlier they would argue for um left wing policies that would include you know uh, higher taxes on people with higher incomes um and the greater provision of state services more spending on public services um at its most extreme they would argue that um you know that everything should be nationalized it should be owned by the people owned by the state so you know everything from public transport to uh obviously healthcare um you know everything education child education childcare all of it so um, it should all be owned by the state and then the mm. state decides how much it costs. But at the moment, mm. what we have is like private providers of mm. of childcare. So then they can yeah. set the price mm-hmm. and that's how... Mm-hmm. Now, the state is, is intervening in that a lot more in recent years. But yeah, I mean, we didn't really do anything about childcare in this country for decades because we thought that women would just look after the children and wouldn't go to work. Uh, or rather, that those were the, the, the society in which we existed created yes. those conditions. Therefore, we didn't have any sort of state... Uh, provision for childcare. So then we, you know, as gradually as women entered the workforce and more and more people, more and more women came into the workforce and needed people to look after the children, we had all these private providers popping up. Um, so to go back to the Sinn Féin thing, they would say we should have like a, a, a and Labour as well, who we can talk about, they would argue that we need state-led childcare, state-run childcare. So, so both Labour and Sinn Féin are for are they so also so that's economically like they're mm. sort of left tax people and mm-hmm. provide services socially then are they left wing which would be more liberal yeah um well the labor party would always have have been pretty socially liberal um and would have are you know would have been campaigning i mean labor's current leader ivana batchik was campaigning for abortion um access to abortion in ireland in the 90 19- 1980s, 1990s, when it was totally banned here. So that gives you an idea, I think, of, of a lot of how a lot of people in the Labour Party think about those issues. Sinn Féin is a little more different because up until the middle of the uh, the, the 2010s, they would have been a very pro-life party. Um, they would have had, uh, and, and Martin McGuinness, who's the former uh, de facto deputy leader of Sinn Féin, he died uh, five years ago, he would have said that Sinn Féin is very much a pro-life party. Now, it has liberalised its position quite considerably, along Why? with other political parties in recent years, because that's where the electorate are. Look at the result of the abortion referendum. So that, um, does that, is, is that a good, like, because in one way it's, you know, I don't, I don't ever think it's great to have a person or an entity mm. have a really calcified view on anything that they will never change their mm. mind. But on another level, it's like, well, if you're just going to go where the wind blows, yeah. and I don't mean just Sinn Féin, I mean yeah, also yeah. Fianna Fáil or whoever's yeah. changing their mind about whatever. It's like, well, I don't know how to follow you if I don't know what direction you're going to go, depending mm-hmm. on how the wind blows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting perspective. I mean, when it comes to the issue of abortion, I suppose all political parties have liberalised their view uh, in recent years. And but but you know, Sinn Fein. It, you see, even Sinn Fein at the moment, that their policy in the north in relation to abortion um, is, is slightly different from uh, from from the south. I think, um, and it's quite complex. And I. I 
couldn't really get into the specifics of it because I'm not massively across it. But certainly, you know, I think that Sinn Féin will be worried about certain socially conservative voters in Northern Ireland fleeing from them so they feel they have to adopt a position that is slightly more uh, pro-life, anti-abortion than it would be here in the South where their leader, Mary Lou Macdonald, has always, I think, been on the, the side of wider access to, to, to abortion oh, and has moved the party in that direction. I mean, that is that is one thing to say, is that she's, she, more than anyone, I think, has, has helped move Sinn Féin to a position of, of being um, being more pro-choice, pro, pro-abortion. Um, and But you're right, th- th- there's kind of a political calculation in that as well, because voters, as we saw with the, the referendum, favour wider access to abortion in this country that we have well, now. There is also something to be said for like if something passes a referendum mm. you have to take it like okay well this is the will of the people absolutely, now so yeah, there's no point yeah. in us banging no, this absolutely. drum. But, but Sinn Féin would have campaigned for the, the, the passing of that, that yes, referendum. Yes, very much know. so. Taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor HumdingerMortgages.ie Your new gaff without the faff. Humdinger are an award winning mortgage brokerage and they specialise in finding the right mortgage for you. The best part is that you deal with the broker and they deal with every major bank in the Irish market so you don't have to trawl around talking to loads of people. They also make the best recommendation on what's the best way to proceed for you specifically and they stay at your side to help you at every step of the way from application to drawing down your mortgage. They're in the mortgage business, right? Not the application business. They have absolutely no interest in putting you through the ringer and getting you to fill out loads of forms without getting a mortgage at the end and they're really honest from the get-go about what the problems might be with your application but then they don't abandon you. They will stay by your side and give you the best advice on how to make sure that you are successful the next time you apply. They specialise in helping first-time buyers, people looking to trade up and people like me who are looking to save ourselves some money by switching our mortgage for a better rate. And like for me, I'm going to switch my mortgage. I'm working with Humdinger because like a reduction of even 0.5% on my mortgage rate can save me like 30 grand in interest over the whole term of my mortgage. Mortgages are the biggest financial decision you are ever going to make. So take advantage of speaking to experts and go to humdingermortgages.ie to begin your journey. So while I have you, I'm going to take the opportunity to um, take you hostage for a minute and tell you about the merchandise that we are selling. We have notebooks and pens, which are branded with the basically branding. And you should buy them. You should buy them because it's a lovely notebook. Who doesn't need a notebook? If you are a Headstuff podcast member, if you buy the notebook, you get the pen for free. It supports me. It supports the podcast. It supports the producers, the people who work on the show and means that we can continue to make these podcasts and give them to you for free. If you want to become a Headstuff podcast member, if you get a lot from the podcast and you think, God, I'd like to support Stephanie and the podcast, you can become a Headstuff podcast member for €5 plus that. uh, Or you can give more if you want to. Go to headstuffpodcast.com and you can click register there and you pick a podcast. You can pick up to three podcasts. If you pick three podcasts, what happens there is that the €5 that you're giving gets split between the three podcasts that you're supporting. Or you can pick just one podcast, say you pick my podcast, then you'll get my bonus material for free and all of the bonus material for all of the other podcasts on the network. So it's a really, really good deal. Five euro, all of these special podcasts. So if you want to do that, do it. I'll be very, very grateful. The people who are in the community, the Headstuff podcast members are my favourite people. They support the podcast. They mean that you can listen to this podcast for free. It's five euro a month. I'm going to stop talking now, but I really appreciate your support. Thank you. Oh, and also, if you cannot afford to support the podcast, but you want to support the podcast, you can also give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a good review or share the podcast with two other people. 
that's it just send the podcast to two other people who will listen to it who you think will benefit from it that helps to get our listeners up which helps us get sponsorship it's all how it works and uh, yeah I'd be really grateful if you do that too bye The World According to Wikipedia is a podcast that dons an old-fashioned diving suit to take a deep dive into the depths of Wikipedia with your intrepid hosts, Rebecca and Fanula. Each episode, we will talk to someone from the Wikimedia community, exploring topics such as harnessing the viral meme potential of Wikipedia articles, why librarians are Wikipedia's biggest fans, how Wikimedians created the largest photography competition in the world ever, and why do some Wikimedians love soft toys so much? Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. Can we talk about Sinn Féin um, outside of the issue of abortion mm. as a party that is in the North and South? Mm-hmm. Because that confuses me sometimes. Because sometimes what they're doing in the North is completely different or, or co- is totally the same yeah. as what Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens are doing down mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And yet in opposition down here, Mary Lou and others are criticising the government for what they are doing. Mm-hmm. But Sinn Féin are doing it in the North. And are they the same party? Is it... Like, well, they are. But I mean, they operate within a, a, a different political system that, you know, is, is unique to, to Northern Ireland. I mean, you had Neil Richmond on here recently and he was talking about how Northern Ireland and Stormont and the Assembly and the Executive, they're all sort of, you know, they all have to be constituted in a specific way to be representative of the nationalist and the, and the unionist community. Um, and also, you know, Northern Ireland is not a completely independent state. It's, uh, you know, reliant on decisions that are made in Westminster in terms of funding of, of 10 to 12 billion euro or pounds a year. So uh, they don't have total control over all of this sort of tax uh, collection policies, to, yeah. uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, the, you know, healthcare and, and so on. So that requires Sinn Féin, I suppose, they would argue that they, they get a lot of decisions forced on them by the, the Tory government in London who are, you know, they are very hostile to, to because of, for historic reasons and the hunger strikes and Margaret Thatcher and all of that. Um, so th- that has created a situation, I think, where Sinn Féin feel that they have to adopt certain policies that they wouldn't necessarily adopt in the South. But also, you know, being in government requires tough choices. And they have been in government in Northern Ireland for, um, you know, for, for for 20 years on and off. Power sharing has collapsed at various points. But, I mean, since the Good Friday Agreement, they have they have been in government uh, quite a bit. And it has required them to make difficult decisions that are required when you're in government. And they haven't had that in the South because in the South, they've really only emerged as a political force in the last kind of 10 years. Prior to that, they were a very small party who weren't electorally successful in the South at all. What do you think um, has happened? What has made that change? Mary well, Lou is a huge uh, part of it. Mary Lou is part of it, but I think it's it's more to do with the fact that voters have become increasingly disen. Uh, disenfranchised and, and unhappy with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, the two parties who were the dominant political parties in the state. So for Fianna, but they, they got very upset with Fianna Fáil for, for good reason after the financial crisis and the 2011 election where Fianna Fáil went from 70 plus seats down to 20. Um, and they equally have grown um, unhappy with Fine Gael because they believe that Fine Gael just adopted the, the Fianna Fáil policy of austerity and uh, and uh, you know, and that they've done nothing to solve the housing crisis in ten years. So you've seen 
Fianna Fáil go from a position of 77 seats in the 2011 election down to 35 in the last general, in the last general election in 2020. So that gives you an indication of voters no longer putting their faith in the uh, political powerhouses of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and instead they want to uh, something different. So is it and like anyone but? It is. Yes. If Sinn you look Fein at stepped in there, there's, there's polling data which shows that the, when voters are asked why do you support Sinn Fein, I think it's forty nine percent say because they're not Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Wow. Which is pretty astonishing, right? Because. But there are also people before, like there are other parties that could be filling There are, but that. I mean Sinn Féin, I suppose, project themselves as a political force uh, and a political alternative to voters that more comp- in a more compelling manner than the other political parties like Labour, and we can talk about the reasons why Labour are where they are, but they project themselves as, as, as an alternative. They have people like Ono Brin who says he'll fix the housing crisis and he'll help people get a home, you know, and he'll fix the rental crisis and so on and so forth. But they don't... Bright, articulate spokespeople who don't have an association with the IRA and all the, the you know, the, the bad things that, that Sinn Féin and the IRA were involved in, um, and, and people who, I, I suppose, espouse an alternative that voters find very compelling. But, all, but, but crucially, they're not Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and they're not, too, they're not a political party that have broken promises, whereas Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have a multitude of, of promises broken in the in There's the definitely of the a sense of like, well, sure, look, give them a chance, it couldn't be worse. Well, that, that, that is also a thing, right? I mean, they've never been in government in the south of Ireland, um, so why shouldn't they be given a chance to, to see how they could run the country? And they say they're preparing for government, and there's, you know, even after the last election, there was a hashtag Mary Lou for Taoiseach. You know, there's a, there's a feeling amongst uh, people who vote for Sinn Féin and, and people who support Sinn Féin that they should be given a chance to, to try and fix a crisis that, I mean, particularly with housing, which has all sorts of secondary effects across society, um, you know, that they should be given a chance to fix it because what Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have been doing for the last 10 years hasn't it's worked. It's not working. And... So when we talk about earlier on, like if you're 18, do you really care about the treaty and do you really care about <laughs> yeah. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and our Michael Collins and Eamon de Valera? Mm. If you're 18, do you care about the IRA? Do you care about pre-Good Friday Agreement? How, how much should you care about that? And, and Well, I, I, would, I would argue you should care about that. Um, you should care about history, you should care about where political parties come from, where politicians come from, their background, their beliefs, their core beliefs. Um, but it's it's not unreasonable for voters not to care about that. I mean, the Good Friday Agreement is twenty five years old next year, and but at its most brittle since its inception. Yes, but that's but I mean, more because of Boris Johnson. It is, government. yeah. But I mean, it's it's it, it's brittle, and and you know, politically, it's 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 difficult. But people aren't blowing each other up to the extent to which they, they are were. burning effigies of um, Michelle O'Neill. No, on. that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of hate there's there. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of hate. Um, but the sort of violence that, uh, you know, I would have kind of very vaguely remembered seeing growing up as a child on the news. That's um, not there. It's not there, no. And so in those circumstances, and the whole, there's a whole generation of people who've grown up in Northern Ireland at, at peace, basically, more or less, Um and there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for the fact that Sinn Féin played a key role in bringing that about. Um, and Jerry Adams, um, the former leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou's predecessor, he he helped deliver that by, I suppose, convincing the armed wing of Sinn Féin, the IRA, who committed the most appalling atrocities for 20, 30 years in Northern Ireland uh, and the South and on mainland UK, um, that, they, that he helped bring that 
violence to an end. He helped bring the more militant element of of the Republican movement to to heal um, and to a situation where they bought into the peace process. So, you know, I think that the issue that some of Sinn Féin's opponents would have was the, the extent to which they tried to justify those atrocities and they believed that it was in the cause of a war, um, whereas the reality is slightly different. There wasn't um, widespread support for the IRA's campaign. There was support amongst a, a, you know, a significant cohort of people, but there wasn't popular support for it. Um, and you know they are, argue they were engaged in, in a legitimate war. Um, some other, a lot of other people would see it as a, a violent campaign of terrorism. So when we, you know, we know what Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are like in government. Mm. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. Have Sinn Féin been explicit apart from just being positioning themselves as the antithesis of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael mm. and just vote for somebody else that isn't them? Have they been explicit about what their government would look like? why people should vote for them in, 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 a, in a meaningful way in terms of, you know, if you have concerns about the IRA, about like what they do in justice or what they, apart from like, we will build houses. Mm. Have they given a more uh, robust... Um, uh, on housing, certainly, um, and we won't fixate on housing, but they certainly have offered a, an alternative in terms of greater state involvements uh, in the provision of social housing. Um, affordable housing, uh, things like uh, a rent freeze for three years, uh, a tax relief that would give a person back one month's rent uh, or tax credit, I think I think it is. Um, but in other areas, no, I, I, I couldn't really tell you what Sinn Féin's justice policy is. I mean, I haven't, you know, I've, I, I'm aware of their policies broadly, yes, yeah, yeah. but I mean, I haven't, I haven't gone in depth into their justice policy. But I mean, no, nothing... On the face of it, nothing strikes me as particularly revelatory about their justice policy. I think that any party that might go into government with Sinn Féin might have concerns about them going into the Department of Justice because, for example, they don't believe or that they have abstained and until recently opposed uh, legislation which underpins the Special Criminal Court, which is uh, a non-jury court which has been criticised by some human rights organisations but has also been responsible for uh, convicting some of the most dangerous criminals that have ever uh, existed in this country and has played a very important role in, in, in tackling that sort of really vicious, horrendous uh, crime that has devastated communities across the country. Um, but, you know, one thing I think that Sinn Féin hasn't been scrutinised on but will be scrutinised on is their climate policy. Um, they're against the carbon tax uh, just recently. But can you be against the carbon tax when it's kind of coming from Europe, isn't it? Like, uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't Think, like we well, have a European yeah. mandate to meet these criteria. There is a European mandate to meet these criteria, but it doesn't necessarily specify the, the extent, the way to which you go about it. Okay. Now, you can be against carbon tax. And some Green Party people are against carbon tax because they believe it harms poorer households uh, who could, you know, can ill afford to, to meet the um, the cost and believe there are more, uh, I suppose, socially progressive ways of, of tackling um, okay. fossil fuel emissions. But if you take, for example, um, the the, the global commitment to uh, more than half our carbon emissions by 2030. Within that, there are sectoral emissions ceilings, and these are basically the uh, each sector of the economy, so agriculture, transport, health, and so on, all have to commit to reducing their carbon emissions by a certain amount in the next um, 10 years, less than 10 years, in fact. Now, there's a global commitment to, to 51% and overall commitment to 51%. And within that, there are different sectors that have to commit to upper... up, like So take agriculture, for example, has to commit to either between 22% and 30% reduction in emissions over the next eight, eight years or so. And um, 
people in the Green Party side think it should be at the higher end, 30%, and people on the agriculture side think it should be 22%. Um, Sinn Féin don't have a position, and they argue we don't have a position on that because we haven't seen all of the data, so we can't come to a position on that. But surely if you're, you know, if you're a policy or a party that is espousing, I suppose, greater um, reduction in emissions to meet that target, you, you, you should, you should, have, you a should have a policy, right? Get. You should have a policy how you're going to get there. And so Sinn Féin's climate policy, even take, for example, a recent uh, no-confidence motion in the government where um, Mary Lou Macdonald and Sinn Féin politicians stood up and heavily criticised the government for, for its you know, failures over the last two years, didn't mention climate policy once. Because they know that you can come back and be like, you don't even have one. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, they would argue they do have a climate policy, but I don't think it's a climate policy that's particularly well thought out or uh, seems to have... They, they, they don't, to my mind, they haven't put in the amount of work into their climate policy as they have into their housing Is policy. Is that because they know that like more people care about housing? Yeah. I mean, look at all of the... There's a succession of opinion polls. Uh, the, the public's uh, concern for the climate crisis is not great. I don't think. Well, it might be great tonight. It might be like great tonight when they can't sleep. They can't uh, sleep. <laughs> it might be great in winter when they're freezing and they can't afford to pay their bills. But, you know, at the moment, I think people's, uh, you know, people might say they're concerned about climate change, but they might not necessarily want to vote for parties who say that you've got to really change the way you go about your life. And that's the crux of the problem. So yeah. we've done Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gaines, Sinn Féin. Do you want to uh, touch on the Greens and Labour? Mm. People? Yeah. Yeah. So so the Labour Party is actually the... I mean, Sinn Féin might claim they're the oldest political party in the state because they were founded in 1905 by, by Arthur Griffith, but um, they split in the 1970s. So the Sinn Féin that exists today is the Sinn Féin that kind of emerged out of, out of the split in 1970, and that was to do with an abstentionist policy that Sinn Féin had adopted that they wanted... Some of the party wanted to get rid of, uh, abstaining from, uh, you know, the, the Parliament in Northern Ireland and from the Dáil and from uh, the Parliament in Westminster. Um but uh, the Labour Party, founded in 1912 um, by James Connolly and others, and has uh, for decades, I suppose, been involved in, I think it's been involved in about eight different governments, and it's usually been as a coalition partner to Fine Gael, most recently between 2011 and 2016. And it was always a party that argued for a much greater state intervention in the provision of public services, uh, greater social welfare rates, um, you know, greater, so uh, you know, greater access to health care um, and I suppose again was very big on the socially liberal agenda um, you know removing Why are they called Labour? Was it about workers rights or unions? Yeah they were or? linked to the trade union movement okay. and they are still linked to the trade union they're kind of the official political party of the sort of mainstream trade union movement within Ireland so they would have close links to the to SIP2 for example and, and uh, all those big trade unions in the country um, who would, would, would in part fund them as well um, and I think that, um, you know, they're, as I said, they're a party that, that has really made their name on being more socially progressive than, than any of the other political parties. And so they've when always got a, a kind of a socially progressive element to uh, a government a that they're in coalition with. So, um, Which can't be undermined because, you know, like it, it, it's, it's useful for, uh, uh, well, this is showing my opinion, but <laughs> for a socially liberal party if they're in coalition with someone who's not so liberal mm. on the right, that mm. just, if in, in a coalition they kind of drag them more to centre so no one Absolutely. is getting too extreme. No, they, they do. And one of the great frustrations of people who uh, people in the Labour Party is that they, they tend to drag 
Fine Gael to the you know to the to the centre or to the left on on or to, to more socially liberal positions, and then Fine Gael go off and take all the credit for it, right? So, right, okay. <laughs> Um, so take, for example, you know, marriage equality in, in 2015, that referendum. Um, Where Leo Varadkar became the face of it. Yeah, you could argue that for sure, yeah. And, but that and would have been fueled more by the Labour Party in the, in the early well, stages. Well, the Labour Party would have ensured that that referendum took place. I mean, I always remember that the Labour leader at the time was Eamon Gilmore, and he said uh, a year or two in advance of that referendum that it was the civil rights issue of a generation, marriage equality, um, you know, that gay people would be able to, to marry. And uh, Enda Kenny was asked about that later, and you know he's that Eamon Gilmore, who he was in coalition with, saw and Enda Kenny was a t-shirt that you know it was actually I I put it to him. I said you know that, that Eamon Gilmore has said that this is the civil rights issue of the generation. Do you believe it is? And and he he didn't. He he said housing or something like that was the, one of the, the big issues of, the, of this generation, which is fair enough. It's a point of view. But then, you know, within within a year, you know, he was totally on board with the idea of marriage equality, having been against it before. Uh, his party had been against it before. Even Leo Varadkar had been against gay marriage. Um, Leo Varadkar had been strongly anti-abortion, for example. And again, the Labour Party would have played a role in, in moving Fine Gael to a position of, of gradually liberalising abortion law in Ireland and then kind of setting the stage for the referendum in, in 2018. Um Labour would have been opposed to the Eighth Amendment referendum in 1983, very strongly opposed to it. And, you know, they've had very strong liberal voices through the generations, people like Michael D. Higgins, the current oh, yeah, president. He's Labour. He's, yeah. he's Labour, yeah, he was a Labour minister, he was a Labour TD for many years. Um, uh, Mary Robinson, former president, also a member, uh, a former long-time Labour senator. So people who've been, you know, at the forefront of, uh, major social changes in Ireland have, have generally had some cause or link to the, to the Labour movement, to the Labour Party. But Labour has become a, a shadow of its former self. Yeah, um, is, where are those voters who are those sort of, yeah, where are they so, moving to? I mean, the Labour Party's collapse goes back to uh, kind of 2010, 2011, where it emerged as a strong political force because it was an alternative to Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And uh, Fianna Fáil were on their way out of office because they were in government and had been for 14 years and, and we were in the midst of a financial crisis and they were seen as the cause of it. And Fine Gael were on the rise, but you know, a lot of voters weren't sure about Fine Gael, so they kind of you know, expressed a preference for, for the Labour Party. And there was even this idea that Eamon Gilmore, who was the Labour leader at the time, could become Taoiseach. There was these posters, Eamon Gilmore for, Gilmore for Taoiseach. Um, and in the run-up to the 2011 general election and in the final weeks of the campaign, there were polls that indicated that Fine Gael could win an overall majority. So that would mean that Fine Gael could go into government without any need for a coalition partner. So the Labour Party produced a poster, and it's, it was called. It was kind of based on the Tesco Every Little Helps ad. And it was all of these things that they said that Fine Gael would introduce if they were in government on their own, things like water charges. They would put up the price of a bottle of wine. So they're kind of appealing to sort of middle-class voters um, who might like a bottle of wine and don't want to, uh, the, the cost of it to go up. Um, and that poster ended up becoming kind of a noose around its neck because it was a... Um, all of the things in the poster were pretty much implemented by the government that they uh, formed with Fine Gael subsequently over the following five years. So then they, so following that poster, they then went into coalition with Fine Gael and, and did all the Tesco things that they did said all they the, wouldn't... The, Yes. Right, okay. So if ever there was a more, there's never been a more, in my time covering politics, there's never been a more vivid, vivid example of, of a broken promise, broken a, a series of broken promises. 
And Labour won 37 seats in 2011 and they won seven in 2016. Oh, wow. Um, so that gives you an indication of the degree to which the voters took out their wrath on the Labour Party. And they haven't recovered since then. They've been through a succession of leadership changes. In 2020, they won, I think, six or seven seats. So they, they, they haven't really recovered from that period. And there's now really fundamental questions about whether the party can survive um, and, and whether it, it can remain relevant when it's kind of been completely squeezed on the left. I mean, Sinn Féin is now the dominant opposition party and Labour is, is kind of fighting for relevance with uh, with another party, which we can talk about if you want, the Social Democrats, who are yeah. made up primarily, and were only, Social Democrats were only formed seven years ago, but they're made up primarily of disaffected former members of the Labour Party. Okay. Um, so uh, the Social Democrats' uh, co-leaders are Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shorthall, both former members of the Labour Party. Roisin Shorthall was in the Labour Party up until about 10 years ago. And is that um, sort of a quick, we need to pivot because of the because our brand is so damaged? Or do they fundamentally disagree with something that... You mean Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shorthall? Yes. Or, yeah, they... Well, they, they uh, <laughs> Each of them would have left. Stephen the Donnelly not have some. Stephen part Donnelly in that? was also involved with that party. Yeah. Right, so okay. uh, Catherine Murphy would have left the Lab- the Labour Party uh, many years ago over a, a, a kind of a, a kind of a historic split more than anything, and, and I think it was a personality difference. Roisin Shorthall left the Labour Party in 2012 because she disagreed with some of the things that Fine Gael were doing in the Department of Health, where she was a, a junior minister at the time. Uh, and she she quit the Labour Party, and so she came together with Catherine and Stephen Donnelly, who was an independent TD at the time, to form the Social Democrats in 2015. And this was a party that was, as the name suggests, a social democratic party uh, that argued again for greater state intervention, and in particular, very very strong on things like healthcare. Uh, Roisin Shorthall would have chaired that committee that agreed the Slauncher Care reforms uh, five years ago. Uh, they would have argued for a real state intervention in childcare and so on and so forth. And just the real focus away from uh, potentially cutting taxes into just greater provision of public services and a real kind of social democratic state built on sort of the idea of what we have in Sweden and Denmark, for example, where people get really great services, but they pay a little bit more tax. Um, but are in that sense, like, are all of the left parties not social democrats? Like, are they not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Labour would argue they're a social, social democratic Democrat. party as well. Um, but it's, the, I suppose, it's the, it's the degree to which you you believe which that's the forefront of that's your thing. What's the forefront of your thinking? I mean, I don't say so. The Social Democrats, for example, I don't think they would be as big on social issues like, say, for example, an issue at the moment like trans rights. Social Democrats wouldn't really have a strong policy on that, whereas the Labour Party perhaps would. Right. Okay. Um, no, they wouldn't have a strong policy on it either way. Just sort of like we're yeah, not going to interfere in that. I, I spoke. I interviewed Catherine Murphy, Murphy and Roisin Shorthall recently, and they just didn't seem to have a, a particularly strong position on the issue. Um, whereas some people within the party believe that Social Democrats should be much more to the forefront of, of that um, debate, if you want to call it a debate. You know, some people argue it shouldn't be a debate, but nonetheless, it is an issue. Um, it is an issue as to you know the extent to which government should be involved in those uh, those matters. And I suppose some people think the Social Democrats should have a stronger position on that. Some of their members think that. Can I ask a more broad question that's kind of touching on that? So mm. does a party need to have a position on, so say Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, very broad parties, they have seats of, like in very many constituencies, mm. is made up of, you know, people of, bo- of of all genders and of all age groups. 
How difficult is it? Like, so it's easy for maybe the Labour Party with six seats to take a very clear stance on like, this is our united opinion on this trans issue. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're in one of the bigger parties, how important is it to have a party line on like, this is how we feel about abortion? Or mm. if you don't, like, let's say, you know, with Fianna Fáil during the abortion referendum, very many of their politicians were coming out saying... I'm absolutely against this. But then others were saying, I'm absolutely pro this. Mm. So as a party, the message kind of gets diluted mm. and you kind of don't know how, like how important is it for a party to have a, a, a party line on something um, for the electorate? For the electorate, I think it's important, yeah. Um, uh, but I think perhaps the electorate has matured a little bit on that issue that they don't believe that parties should stick, should, should so rigidly enforce what's known as the whip um, on which is basically the party line on an issue and which way a party should vote on an issue and that everyone in that party should vote that way. Um, I think you've, you've seen that that has been loosened a little bit over the last years and so particularly as, as you said, you know, kind of abortion where Fianna Fáil, there were some members who were against um, the referendum uh, passing and some members who were very, very much for it. Um, but... I, I think for voters, yeah, they look. They like to know what they're if they're voting for a political party. They like to know what they stand for. But our, the Irish electorate is, and I suppose the Irish political system is different in a way in that we have a, we have a very strong connection to our local TD because constituencies are, are reasonably small are, are small by kind of international standards. You look at the UK, for example. I think there's one MP per sixty thousand of the population. Constitutionally, in Ireland, it has to be one TD per thirty thousand of the population. You have constituencies where there are three, four or five TDs from different political parties and people have a connection to their TD. They, they would engage with their TD when they need them for a passport, for example, <laughs> or when they need to yeah, get, a, get a jump up a waiting list or whatever, or when they, they're trying to get a medical card or, 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 or things like that. Um, and I think that sort of connection with their TD means that they like to know where their TD stands on a particular issue and they wouldn't necessarily vote for the you know the political party without knowing... Who the TD in their in their area is now that changed a little bit in 2020, where people just voted for Sinn Fein because they wanted to vote for Sinn Fein. They didn't even know who the candidate was in their constituency. We had all sorts of mad stories about Sinn Fein candidates who, I think, four of Sinn Fein's current TDs, or at least three anyway, uh, had lost their council seats in in 2019. Um, they weren't particularly strong politicians, but because of the Sinn Féin brand in 2020, they topped the poll. There was that sense that like anyone could have run. Yeah, you, you, yeah. Like a couple of them didn't even do campaign. I know a woman in, was it in, in Kildare, Kildare? Patricia Ryan was on holiday during on the holidays. campaign. Yeah, she had a, she'd booked a holiday before the election and uh, before the election was called, and she, and she went ahead and went on her holiday, and she still topped the poll. Um, but. Historically, Irish people have been very connected to their local TD, and I think that they like to know where they stand on a particular issue. And I don't think they necessarily, you know, uh, but but of course, when you're voting for a political party, you like to know where they stand on a particular issue. Um, and parties take a different position depending on the issue as to the extent to which they'll punish their TDs for voting against the party position. So, some TDs will be banished from the party entirely forever. Um, happened to a couple of Fine, Fine Gael TDs when, when they voted against abortion legislation in um, in 2013. But the Green Party, for example, two of their TDs recently voted against a, a government's motion on the National Maternity Hospital and uh, the new National Maternity Hospital and they've been suspended for six months and they're expected to return to the Green Party within, within a few weeks. Um, on the Green Party, mm. just uh, because for me the Green Party are just like agricultural and carbon issues you know do mm. they have um, outside of that a kind of a broad brand of 
you know, economic and social policy? Yeah, I mean, I think their, their economic and social policy would be t- tied to to the climate issue, you know. So they believe, for example, that the, uh, you know, the, there's different factions within the Green Party who believe slightly different things. So there's some people in the Green Party who, um, you know, don't think the carbon tax is the and increases in the carbon tax is the best way to go about achieving uh, climate action. But, you know, the Green Party position, the, the, the formal position is that the, the carbon tax and the increases that, that are coming into effect over successive, successive budgets in, in the next few years, that that should go towards the um, provision of uh, retrofitting and that it should go towards, uh, say, the fuel allowance, for example, to help households that most need uh, support to pay their fuel bills in, in winter. Um, and they, they're quite socially liberal as well. So Roderick O'Gorman, who's the Children and Equality Minister, he would have been, he's a long-time member of the Green Party. In fact, he joined the Green Party when he was 10. <laughs> well, he canvassed for the Green Party when he was 10, and he joined, I think, when he was in college. But um, he would have been responsible, I think, for driving that sort of socially liberal agenda within the Green Party uh, that kind of ensured that it wasn't just a party about... Um, uh, recycling. Recycling, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> Uh, and so, for example, when the Greens were last in government in, in 2007, um, between 2007 and 2011, with, with Fianna Fáil, it was, um, it was a government that kind of ended disastrously because of what happened to the country. But they would have, um, the Greens would have pushed for civil partnership legislation, which was kind of the precursor to, to same-sex marriage. Um, so they would have pushed that kind of socially liberal agenda uh, with, within the party. And in general, I think the, you know, the Greens would believe in, in sort of... Uh, creating a taxation system that essentially punishes people who emit more carbon. So, you know, motor tax on, higher motor tax on cars that that emit, that have higher emissions, um, you know, carbon tax on fossil fuels uh, that obviously have very high emissions, and I suppose incentivizing people to use lower emitting forms of transport. So, for example, there's been a, a, a reduction in public transport fares across the country, and that's a, a Green Party policy that they've driven with a view to try and get more people out of the car and onto buses and trains and trams. It is interesting, though, isn't it, that like when you're in coalition, it's easier for the larger parties to take credit for those for those ways. Well, that's the thing, and I find even my day-to-day work, you often get people in the Green Party kind of saying, to me, you know, make sure that you mention us as having been a strong proponent of that of policy that, because, yeah. I mean, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil will happily claim credit for the reduction in public transport fares because I think it's been a very popular policy. But it's, a, it's, it's, it's been driven by the Green Party. The Green Party, Erin uh, Ryan, their leader, is the transport minister. So he's driven that agenda, but other parties like to take credit for that. And you, you always find that in coalition governments. And I think you'll you'll find that, that, that the most popular Green Party policies and, and Roderick O'Gorman, who I mentioned, is the children's minister and he's pledging to cut the cost of childcare over the next two years in half. Um, you know, you'll find that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil will want to claim credit for that as well. Um, before I let you go, I know there are other parties that we, are. we, we should talk about. Um, which, which ones do you want to mention? I also want to ask you, do we have any far-right parties in this country and how are they doing? Uh... We, I mean, they exist on paper. I think there's the, the National Party, um, you know, that there are some far-right parties that have kind of emerged onto ballot papers over the years, but they, they haven't gone anywhere. And I think one of the... It's it's one of the great things, I think, about Ireland is that we haven't drifted... We haven't had that sort of... Um, that 
the creation of a sort of element. You know, there are always people within a society who do believe that, for example, we shouldn't have a, 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 a the immigration policy that we have. So, for you know, the we shouldn't let people in. We, should so we shouldn't let people Ireland in. Yeah, people. Ireland is for Irish people. There's always going to be people who believe that, but there doesn't seem to be any uh, political movement that has emerged that in any way is taking hold. Is taking hold, even winning a, a dull seat or anything like that. Um, and I, I think that's a great strength of, of Ireland, really, that we are prepared to, to have a very open door. I mean, look, look at the Ukrainian refugee uh, crisis. We've had 42,000 refugees arrive since February and we have opened our doors to them, um, you know, in, in a very generous way, I think. And now there's all sorts of questions and issues around the... Um, the provision of accommodation, whether the state's doing enough on that front, but there isn't really any any far right political parties in Ireland that are worth talking about. It. There are on the left, there are people for profit, um, and there are uh, the uh, left wing independent TDs. I suppose one political force that we should talk about is the independent, um, because that op- you know the, the, there are in, there are a number of independent. There's well over a dozen independent TDs in the current Dáil, and there were there were I think at one stage in, in recent years there were about twenty five thirty independent TDs, and I think that's a strong political brand that exists within Ireland that we should probably spend a little bit of time talking about before we finish up. The independent TD, I suppose, is someone who is locked into their constituency. Uh, is is motivated solely by uh, constituency issues. Um, they talk about uh, national issues that are most relevant to their constituents. Um, and I suppose the most uh, the strongest political brand there is is the Healy Rays in Kerry. Right. So Michael Healy Ray was the sort of the father figure of that um, empire. Empire. Yeah. Um, he was uh, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil Jean Poole. Uh, he tried to run for the party in 1997 and he was thwarted. He was a long serving member of Fianna Fáil in Kerry and he was thwarted in his attempt to run for the party in the 97 general election. So he ran as an independent and he topped the poll and a succession of Healy Rays have topped the poll in Kerry uh, ever since then. Um, and that is primarily because they are solely focused on constituency matters and delivering for the people of Kerry. So Michael Healy Ray would have, or, or Jackie Healy Ray rather, would have um, delivered a huge amount for the people of Kerry in terms of uh, he would have negotiated deals with the Fianna Fáil government at the time that would, would have ensured millions ploughing into the constituency, improvements in roads, improvements in services, uh, improvements in hospitals, all these kinds of things that benefited the people of Kerry. So that kind of strong political brand, constituency focused. And you've seen that replicated in other constituencies where there are independencies who frequently do very well because they're very focused on delivering for their constituents in a way that I suppose they don't have to focus too much on national issues because they're not a, a member of a political party. They're not required to go out and bat for that political party. They can just focus on their constituents. Is there not a sort of an impotence though? Like obviously the Healy Rays are not impotent. They get mm. so much done. Mm. But why would you choose to be an independent like you're always going to be in opposition. Not true, though. Not true. No. Okay. Well, I mean, yes, primarily. But if you take the last government before this one, there was a Fine Gael minority government with with independents, and there was a number of independent TDs who served the cabinet: Shane Ross, uh, Fine oh, McGrath, yeah. uh, and he had junior ministers like John Halligan and Sean Canny and Kevin Boxer Moran. And again, these were independent TDs who, um, you know, Shane Ross was the minister for transport, and we can debate how effective he was. But I mean, certainly. Um, you know, he would have 
felt he, he would have ensured that some of his constituency issues were dealt with as part of the programme for government, most n- notoriously and famously the, the step-aside Garda station, which had been closed in 2011, that getting that reopened again in his constituency was a very important matter for him, and he, he ensured it got done. So, But he didn't get a seat then? He, no, he did, you're right, he lost his seat, yeah. So it, it swings and roundabouts, and, you know, Finney McGrath, the other member of the cabinet there, uh, he... Um, he didn't run in the last election. Uh, he retired, and you know he, his seat probably would have been in doubt. But you know, take Catherine Zappone for example, uh, another independent TD. Uh, she was part of that government, and she uh, she negotiated uh, into that program for government a, a commitment to set up a, a citizens' assembly to uh, consider the issue of uh, the Eighth Amendment and abortion rights, and that precipitated the the the, the referendum on that in 2018. So. Independent TDs have have found a way to operate within government that both benefits, uh, you know, national. There are both benefits nationally, but also benefits for their own cons- constituency as well. But obviously, yeah, they they don't always keep their seat because being in government requires hard choices sometimes, and the voters don't always aren't always prepared to reward uh, TDs for that. Um, well, I think that is that's a a brief one on one of uh yeah. of the politi- have we missed well i mean we have we've missed a few i mean i i mentioned people for profit briefly they're a very uh far left party who argue uh strongly in favor of socialism uh, socialism effectively that the state would own everything the state would own the banks uh you know we'd tax millionaires um and i suppose we would the much greater free public transport is one of their policies actually which i think is a very interesting policy and again uh, but like you're, so you're taxing millionaires that's fine mm. I mean uh, there's a question to be asked about how realistic their yeah, policies would be and how deliverable seem... they would be given that history tells us that socialism in its purest form hasn't really worked ever ever um, but certainly I think that there is a lot to be said for some of some of the policies they espouse not least I think free public transport is one of those policies that I think is, it merits consideration in circumstances where you're trying to get people out of their cars and onto forms of public transport. I don't think anyone is not choosing public transport because of the cost of it. I think people just don't want it. Like, if it's free, it's also going to be more busy. That's true. Busier. But then you just do more of it, right? Yeah, but, like, we don't even have... Like, do we have <laughs> enough Lewises? Remember when the two Lewises didn't connect? Yeah, true, true enough. So that that's that's a kind of a brief rundown, I think, of, of all of the political parties. Thank you so much for that. Um, I will... People will listen to this and then I'm sure they'll have follow-up questions um, which I can ask. Uh, Maybe we'll do something else um, closer to the election. Can I ask, do you think that we'll get to the next general election? As in, will we get one soon? No, as in, do you think we'll they, then this government will make it on t- for the next two I, I and a half do, years? I do, yeah, I do. I think it will make it because I don't see that there is... I, I don't think any of the three parties within the, the government uh, wants a general election anytime soon. I think their dull majority is bigger than is it, it is when it's stripped back to its barest form, where they they do appear to be in the minority, but they do have a lot of support from independents and people who are temporarily outside of the government parties because they voted against them. So I, I think this government will last the, the full the full run, um, and there'll be an election in late twenty four or early twenty twenty five. But I could be wrong. A week is a long time in politics. A week is a long time in politics, exactly. Thank you so very much. That is Hugh O'Connell, political correspondent for The Sunday Independent, The Independent, Independent.ie and Media Weeks in general. Um, That is another episode of Basically. Um, Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Cahal O'Gara. And we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week.
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.